mentioned our topic for next week. Um, next week here at SACPA, uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Susan McDaniel talking, and she's going to speak to us about uh, world population at 7 million. What are the challenges and opportunities? So I'd like to uh, invite everybody to come back uh, next week. Um, all of our uh, sessions here at SACPA are uh, recorded, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, besides being uh, shown on Shaw on Sundays at 4.30 p.m., um, we also have them on our website at www.sacpa.ca, where you'd be able to go and download and listen to an audio recording of all of our um, sessions. Um, outside the door here, we have a suggestion box that I invite everybody to... Um, uh, please feel free to leave any comments you'd like for us. Um, uh, maybe mention something that you'd like, something you'd like us to add, improve, or if you had any complaints as well. Those are uh, always welcome for us to put in the suggestion box. Um, we're going to be uh, asking uh, Mike Frank to come back to the podium here in a second to continue his uh, talk on First Nations Election Act. Will democracy be better served? Um, at that time, the floor is going to be opened up for questions. We have a mic over here on this side of the floor. And if you have questions, um, just please come up and uh, feel free to uh, ask them there. After you ask your questions, which I'd like to ask if you could keep them kind of short. We only have half an hour for questions so that everybody could uh, ask Mike something if they want. And um, so after you ask your question, uh, if you could please return to your seats. Um, and uh, also, just a quick reminder, uh, in two weeks, on June 21st, SACPA is going to be holding our annual general meeting. Um, and uh, at that time, uh, any members who are currently uh, paid up with their dues are going to receive a free lunch for that session. So that's June 21st. If your dues are all paid up, you will receive a free lunch. If you're not sure if your dues have expired or not, please come see uh, Lisa up at the front here. Uh, also, if you'd like to renew your fees, which are um, $25 for uh, regular members and uh, $5 for student members uh, for the year, Lisa would be glad to um, to help you with that. And we're also always taking new members. If anybody here is not a member, they'd like to join, um, please feel free to join us. So Mike, can you come back up here? <laughs> uh, does anyone have any questions for Mike? My name is Mike. Uh, thanks for coming. My question is pretty short and sweet. Uh, not that uh, two wrongs make it right. How do you rate the, uh, the market level of democracy and uh, in First Nations? as compared to democracy in the rest of Canada. Oh. <laughs> uh, next question. <laughs> oh, you know, when you're public speaking, one idea to get over your fear and anxiety is if you imagine the audience nude. <laughs> so, well, I'll, I'll try to address that as best as I can. We have to remember that the Indian Act imposes the democracy on reserves. It's, it's imposed, like it's law, not to have a democratic process. And the government is municipal, as I mentioned. One hierarchy, chief, and the 
the other group, counselors 12. That style doesn't work. It clashes with our traditional views. For example, there's many distinct societies, like traditional societies. We have the horns, the motuki, we have our different brave dogs, for example, the policing. It ignores those. And so to rate or attempt to understand how a democratic Western European imposed system would accurately reflect traditional chiefs, indigenous language, indigenous culture, indigenous society. That's, you know, my way of answering that. There's good turnout. I think at our last election, we ran a, a poll station in Lethbridge at the Friendship Society and went on reserve. And our total, uh, our estimated voter population was about 5,800. And I think we had just under 5,000 show up. So it's very, it's very, people get involved, right? And for example, at Stony in Chiniki country, where I was outside Calgary, you know, the Banff on the side of the road that says uh, Chief Chiniki Restaurant and the casino, that's where it takes place. On their one reserve, they have three bands. So the Chiniki band has um, 850 people and 775 voted. So for the position of one chief, there was eight candidates. For the position of 12 councillors, there was uh, 28. So for example, on our reserve, 12,000 people, estimated voting population this year, is probably gonna be around 8,500 approximately. Right? It's a little higher, but. So last election we had, for chief, for the one position, we had 18 candidates. And for the 12 council positions, we had 112. So there's many factors that go into this. However, we must remember that the population based on the unemployment rate, because unemployment is at least 75% on the reserve, right? The job rate hasn't grown. There's been 300 jobs in, on the reserve in 1980. There's still 350 now. So growth is not a big concern. So how do you that, capture all that, right? I don't go off on too much of a tangent. So I hope that answers and kind of frames the idea of what First Nation government and the democratic process is dealing with. And those factors aren't captured in the Michael, thank you very much. Most interesting. I've long been an admirer of you and mother and father. Thank you. All the many fingers that the university has. Thanks for that. This issue is simply very, very, very complicated. In Canada, thinking of the relationships between Newfoundland and BC, I appreciate your comments on. The assimilation policy was in, in effect, and then the Supreme Court of Canada came out with the Aboriginal title to a nation in BC. Yes. That changed the whole dynamic of what's been going on, and I wonder what your comments would be on the Aboriginal title. Second thing is the Bill S-6 means it's coming through the Senate side. Bills traditionally come through the, the House of Commons side, first reading, second reading, committee, third reading, and it's the law. Yes. Who's behind this bill? Is it a liberal, is it a conservative? Uh, what's going on? You know what? Yeah, uh, next question. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Blaine. What I'll touch on is the notion, there's a lot of discussion in Indian country, and I'm 
use these terms sparingly. So if everyone could just write them, status Indian, non-status Indian, First Nation, Métis, Inuit, Bill C-31, on-reserve, off-reserve, Aboriginal, Indigenous. As long as you understand those terms, you'll be fine. <laughs> and those are the terms we face. So included with those terms would be Aboriginal rights and treaty rights, as well you brought up. And you got to come to my class. Into these things. So notions like treaty rights, maybe I'll just frame this quickly, treaty rights, right? Treaty right is my shared vote under the Indian Act. My treaty rights are the rights to the land. My, my treaty rights to the language. And Aboriginal title covers a lot more in depth. And what happened in BC with that group Blaine mentioned was that for once, the courts were listening and favoring Aboriginal title. Previously, courts have ruled that Aboriginal elders, usually First Nation elders, could give oral evidence, and that would be deemed acceptable court evidence. Along with the Aboriginal title notion is how the same groups have now been recognized. I have friends who, who are Ashnav in Vancouver, who I, I was a part of a think tank group, and their reserve was no bigger than this block. Right? And their band budget was 50000 a year. They asked, well, what was mine? I said, ours is 802 square kilometers. We have 121. And our, our Aboriginal and treaty rights were the same goals. So this is not meant to take away from this or get too deeply involved in the Aboriginal treaty right discussion. But when the courts are ruling in favor of Aboriginal title, it's always a good thing because of the picture I had told to paint. From the Indian Act assimilation notion, the forced relocation, residential schools, language, off-reserve. Now, it's a really, we're at a very interesting time now because the dynamics are shifting. And this bill is one of the efforts for the minister, really, in many ways, to say, I'm going to impose this election code on you. And when it's in place, good, my work's done. I can wash my hands of everything, including all those Aboriginal titles and treaty rights that should come with it. Very complex, very complicated. And as for the, uh, sorry, I forget the, the Senate. The Senate. For the, re, for the bill of the Senate, yes. Who's at the background of this? In my view, it's, it's a push by the Prime Minister to have, they meant in January 24th, the Assembly, the First Nations, the Chief Council, the Chief Conference, even the Prime Minister Conference. Like, he wasn't even going to speak that day. He's just going to show up, say a quick hi, and leave. And then they forced him to stay for the two-day retreat. So when your leader of the country says, well, I'm not going to even really join you that day, right? That sends a very clear message. But at the same time, he said, I'm not changing the Indian Act. Bill S-6 will be imposed, you know, through the Senate. So in my view, it's a conservative government approach. It's it's not unique to First Nations, but I think it's grouping a lot of uh, other individuals in the same category as other Canadians, saying, we're here from the government, we're here to help, we'll deal with this, just join in. It's not the best answer, Blaine, but I hope that portrays that there's a fiduciary obligation that's missing from the federal government. Uh, My name is Les Spraysford again. I would like to make four points, but first I would like to uh, 
maybe uh, mention something that may be taken as a story, but I think it's something very interesting. The Northern Cheyenne are in Montana. They're not very south, far south of here. One of their members, Leo Killsback, uh, is at the University of Arizona. He's finished his PhD program. And during his studies, he came home and he did a documentary called Chief's Prophecy. Prior to the Indian Reorganization Act, the Northern Cheyenne had 44 leaders from a bundle uh, amongst their people. And it was uh, through traditional governance. What happened after the Indian Reorganization Act, they had a tribal government. And uh, there's conflict down there, and I can identify with that conflict. If you voice your opinions, you're treated very badly, not only in your own community, but outside um, uh, our reserves. But anyway, they talk about that, and they say at the end, uh, I think they predicted uh, that a crow would be white, and that the leaders would even be hiding in corners. That is something that's very interesting. Recently, uh, I found a copy of the PhD dissertation. It's over 300 pages. But because I don't have access to uh, word processors, the internet, and so forth, I haven't been able to read it yet. Um, hopefully uh, within the next few weeks. So I think there's a big difference between the way indigenous people do their business, uh, their governance, and Western society. And that is very important to understand. In your Western world, there was Plato who wrote the Republic. And he identified democracy as the second worst form of government next to tyranny. I think that's something that is very important to look at. And I live with those horrible things that come out of democracy. Uh, it's at the point now where I do not vote for a number of reasons. One of the things that happened about 10 years in our community, uh, they arbitrarily changed the election documents. I thought it was just a, an amendment from two to four years, but it was a total change. And because of that, I do not participate in that process. And hopefully um, we can change that maybe sometime to come. But when I heard of this First Nation Education Act, or Election Act, I thought of the First Nation Education Act. A couple summers ago, Chuck Strahl was in Edmonton. They were going to do away with the residential school provisions. It was the education provisions. And the NDP were proposing the First Nation Education Act. I phoned Ottawa. It was in the summertime. And I talked to the person that was drafting it. First, she told me there was no draft. And secondly, after she said there was a draft, but she couldn't disclose it to me. It was confidential. Since that time, uh, Alberta education has encroached upon our uh, Pagan education uh, work. A few years, a few weeks ago, they had a parent conference, and it was our own people working for Alberta education that brought 
that in. And there was very little, if no involvement, from our own people, our own community. And one of the things that they proposed is that the students go see, gra see grave sites. And uh, these people are coming out of university. They helped them to access our traditional knowledge or they prostituted our traditional knowledge. If they knew their culture, they would know it's wrong to bring children to a grave site. Um, uh, so let's just in our... Okay, just in the interest of time, if we could uh, ask a question. Okay, so uh, one of the... Um, uh, I think that... Um, I think that... The question I will bring, and maybe it's not just to you, it's also to SACPA. Uh, this organization plays a role in legislation. And I'm very glad that uh, she brought up that uh, my time was up. We have so many things to say, we have no voice. And at the end of the day, what's going to be happening is that there's going to be someplace written that SACPA dealt with the First Nation Education Act and um, it's okay, or Election Act, it's okay to uh, process it. And I think that, um, I used to come to SACPA um, presentations before, and I quit coming because it was very oppressive. And I'm here again today. So my question is, how can we change our reality in this region? Uh, we're talking about the Constitution, the quiet revolution, the West just reacted to it. Um, for many years, there's been no change in Alberta governance. It reflects the mindset that they're in. How can we change so that the Pagan peoples and maybe other First Nation peoples are not terminated? Because it is genocide. Even though there are academics who write that political extermination is not genocide, it is genocide. Thank you for your comment. Well, let me, let me say this. My talk here was I had to introduce elements of the Indian Act to understand where we are for today. And with, with our people here, I teach out rockets, right? I teach the college courses that are intro to Native Studies, our sociology, math, business. And this is where one thing I feel that I'm just beginning to have a partnership with my cousins out there. On my grandma's side through the English family, we're related out there. We have a big territory to cover in Blackfoot country, known as Treaty 7. What I'll also bring up here is the education component. On reserve, it's getting worse. We must keep this in fact. What I'm going to do is summarize these points. The education is less than 50% graduation rate. Okay. Those same people who do not graduate often move to urban cities like Lethbridge, Edmonton, Calgary. The process of what they're going through through an education, you're fortunate, I'm glad you brought up Plato because I happen to have Dr. Kent Peacock here, one of my philosophy professors, who first introduced me to Plato at the University of Lethbridge, the allegory of the cave and philosophy 1000, and the process of thinking. So I said, screw management, I want to go philosophy, <laughs> because it addresses the issues. It gets to the heart of the matter. 
We're not looking at returns of investment. We're questioning the cause of the direction we're going. So I appreciate your comments. The consultation is the big point. This act, my, I'm going to reinforce this, consultation with from elected officials, chief and council, Assembly of First Nations, Alberta, we have our different layers of government with Aboriginal consultation, who has turned down twice for a job up there. But the point was, the consultation is missing. It's, it's not just, it's absent, it's void. Black holes, they, you know, they're not black holes, right? The matter is, people who are entrusted with carrying out their elected duties are failing to adequately represent those who they're entrusted with. That's the issue. And along the way, you mentioned a really strong point here of the reality change, right? I agree with this. Like, this is what the point is. Assimilation is taking place. How come my son can only carry the status to him and no more? That's not fair. It doesn't make him less of an Indian, but legally it does. Let me, let me end on this point for the provincial government that there's a big obligation here. I mentioned fiduciary obligation. That's where we, Indian people, make treaty with the Crown. And that's been interpreted to be the federal government. When there's gaps, such as the education department, social services, those are defaulted automatically to the provincial government, who's supposed to carry these out. And the provincial government then says, well, that's Ottawa, that's the federal government's duties. Go talk to them. Well, go talk to your chief and council. Something gets lost in the translation here. And what I'm going to close on this point is the qualifications for office, for political office, have not been clearly outlined. What, I'll, I'll close, this is my point here. As a result of doing a master's in this area of First Nations governance, is that I believe there has to be some very strict requirements in place for elected leaders, especially on reserve. Those would be, you have an education, okay? There's no education clause currently existing. High school, college, technical grade, university, you know, something where you show a demonstration where you can adequately read and write. Okay. A drug-free program. Right. I'm drug-free, alcohol-free, substance-free. I'll, I'll pee in a cup right now. Right. So, Spare us. That's an example. <laughs> and the idea is to show that if the leaders are representing the people we must be removed from the substance abuse notion. I must be able to speak my own language. Okay, right? At least know these things because it reflects who we are. And also, you must be trained. You must be trained to read an Excel sheet. You know what debit credits are. You know, very troubling rumors I'll speak offhand with. And also, know your platform. Those are the solutions to the problems that were raised here. Is that Politicians must be influence-free. You must know what their platform is. You must be able to hold it to them in this legislation. Why wasn't some of these ideas put into this place? It can be. That's how you change the Indian Act, into a version that's better suited to what the needs are for the community. So lastly, where is the money going? Where is the money going for on reserve? We don't know. We really don't know. Um, there's a high unemployment rate. There's high, I don't want to show all of our dirty laundry, but like any government, you got to hold them in check. We want to see financial statements. We want to see where you're going. We want to be able to communicate with you. 
one-on-one. -on -one. We want our voices heard and documented. So good point, and we're gonna, we're gonna do some more things here. It's not an ideal world. Like, how could we fix all these injustices that have been done? You know, maybe it takes a certain select few to take this on. I'm worried about survival right now. I'm worried where Crystal and Orion and I are gonna get our next paycheck. It's really hard to tackle the issues of governance on reserve when I don't live on reserve. Nobody returns my phone calls. And my political stance here is there's absent chairs here because the Tree 7 leadership, the first nation chief and council were invited to this meeting. And what a slap in the face for not inviting coming and hearing one of their own people talk. Uh, my name is Frank Todd. That first name is very important. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I'm listening for the most, most informative speech. It's been overdue with the many condemnations in the United Nations that the, the way Canada treats the First Nations, even Prince Philip, how many times has he condemned Canada for the treatment of the First Nations? At an early age, as a punk kid, I was, I lived close to a non-reserved bunch of Indian people. The, the care they took about the environment, uh, the, the wonderful, wonderful herb, herbal remedies they had. Uh, they taught, they taught my family and all around me a lot of good things. Uh, anyway, we're not surprised of who is trying to change it. Uh, our happy, uh, Mr. Harper, of course, uh, he is trying to weaken the Indian nation without question. Uh, his environmental plans for his daddy's company, Imperial Oil, that's obvious. Unless you've got, unless you've got shares in Imperial Oil Exxon, uh, you know what's happening. I right? used to work there in Imperial Oil. <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> okay, anyway, I travel. I was, I was, I traveled to Fort McMurray every three weeks. I know what's happened. I know I could see the terrible, terrible dismemberment of nature. It's unbelievable, all right? I'm gonna to get to my question. So, so we know what, we know what, what's all about. And we know where it's coming from. And don't be, be surprised, C-38 is trying to push 70 different acts. But he's weakening, he's trying to awaken anybody that gets in the way of the oil and gas company. Now, what is the solution? What is the solution? Bring all these, all these honest truths to Canadians. Who is going to do it? You're giving your share. Well, yeah, let me, I think what I'm going to do is refer back to, respectfully, with them here, is that. SACPA is one of the institutions here, right? It's, it's ran by good people. And we've had First Nation discussions here before. And and Nude and, and Lisa run a, a great show here. And you know, very honestly, I can't speak like this on reserve. Right? There's no forum that exists. There's no phone call return. There's no email return. There's nothing. And I've offered this stuff. And I don't have an agenda. I'm not running for office, and I won't. We'll run the election for them to make sure it's run tight. And we'll help educate the people that are out there to what you need to know. Right? Currently, as a, an alumni from the University of Lethbridge, we've offered 
that our First Nation Métis Inuit alumni group, graduates of the University of Lethbridge with strong academic and business backgrounds to be like the, like the Privy Council's office. And those aren't even returned, right? So I certainly share those, those frustrations. And I just, in SACPA's defense, I, I, it's always nice to come here to be in a good environment with good people, to get really you know, engaged in that stuff. But this doesn't take place on the reserve and standoff. There's no mechanism for it. Yeah. So for the solution, right? You know, my brother, when he was, how old was Kenny when he met the Queen? Seven, but Bruce Meadows in Calgary, he was in Calgary, and the Queen came. And my brother presented her with a wreath, and he said, we want our land back. <laughs> so the solutions are, are, say we want these things back, but in different languages, so those people understand. Okay? The solution for all these things is one, my goal is to make sure one generation of First Nation people, and who I've done this work, I've worked with over 500 youth in Lethbridge today, and well over 300 on reserve, to get them through high school and break the back of these social problems. And then we can begin to, to do these dialogues, help them along the way. Sure, but I thank you, I know there's one more question. Uh, my name is Mary Shillington, and I realize time's short, but like, I uh, appreciate what you presented today. Um, the, the Indian Act, if that is disbanded, the Toll Indian Act, do you have suggestions about what it could be replaced with? And, and in 10, ten words or less? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just, just to give us an idea of, of what thinkers in your community are, are, are I know there's a big debate, within the whole nation, nations, all the nations, so, okay. Hell of a question. The Indian Act, as I said, frames how Indians are supposed to live, work, and govern themselves and speak on reserve. It's a troubling piece of legislation. And currently there, I mentioned before, there's one member in Winnipeg that introduced a private bill and he's won to disband the Indian Act. It's actually, we'll be voting on it, I think, next month. He's one of the MPs, and that's what he's, he's promoting. I don't like the idea of scrapping it because it gives the authority to do some good things. It's not, the Indian Act is all about assimilation. That's all it's about. It's designed to assimilate the Indian, the savage Indian, into the civilized community. Remove those, remove status. Of, well, I don't want to do that. But that gives me the authority to, to quote that. Okay, without the Indian Act, I can't quote that. Okay. So that's one of the dangers. The second danger is the financial obligation. This was treaty. When we say treaty rights and aboriginal rights that were brought up before, aboriginal rights and treaty rights, very similar. The funding is not taxpayer based. Okay. This is not people's tax money that they paid in 2011. These are massive trusts and accounts that have been set up over the last 80 years of good interest. The budget for INAC Indian Affairs was 9.2 billion last year. 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion is in the operation, Indian, and how the rest, the 7.5 gets trickled down, is because of the Indian. So if we take those away, 
there's no legal requirement for those funds to go down. That's a quick start. Come to a class. Okay. <laughs> um, see that it's uh, just a couple minutes past one thirty right now. We are going to have to end today's session. But if anybody has any questions um, for Mike or you'd like his contact uh, information, please um, meet him offside here. Uh, as his wife, I can attest to, Mike loves to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to come and, uh, and do so. And uh, once again, I'd like to thank everybody so much for coming today. And uh, I hope to see um, a lot of you uh, for our next uh, session next week when Dr. Susan McDaniel comes to speak to us, and uh, as well as uh, for our annual general meeting in two weeks. Uh, remember, everybody who has their dues paid up uh, gets free lunch that day. And if you're unsure of your dues, or you want to renew, or you want to join, please come speak to Lisa. Thank you very much, and thank you, Mike, for coming today.